Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Gift my life. But when it comes to telling stories, I have to say to him, please let me tell the whole story. Because he's not so much into the whole story, he just wants to know the point. He just likes to know the end. So I will start telling someone a story, like, oh my goodness, I met this woman and she came up to me at this conference and Loz will be like, hello, Gruback. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I mean, there was a journey in the story to that, Lars, and then you, I don't want to tell the story then, because it's like, well, I'm going to the ending, you know what's coming, and it's like, oh. So we have to have this little thing of like, you know, and he said, I did ask him his permission if I can share that he did it. He didn't really want me to share it, but he did, like, he did agree as well, so it's fine. Um, but I feel like, actually, that is actually, Jesus is a bit more like Lars. It's that actually he has, from the beginning of time, known that he is going to come, that he has this master plan, that he has this saving plan to in every dark situation that happens through the Old Testament, and yet he can't wait to just let us know he's coming. He can't wait to say, but I'm coming, I'm on my way. I'm actually here now and on my way. That he wants to just jump to the end of the story. That he wants to say, there's hope coming. There's one who's going to wipe away every tear. There's one coming that's going to do that. Like, he just can't wait to say the end of the story. And so it's all right, lots. You like Jesus, so it's good. Um, and that's what we are looking at in this series. Is this series is called Hidden Hope. Um, because it's about looking at the Old Testament and seeing different times where we see that Jesus pops into the story, whether comes um, as the Son of Man stepping into the story, or whether he comes and is prophesied by someone of there is one coming, that that's what we're looking at. And so um, we've had a couple of weeks on it. Last week, um, Anthony spoke about Abraham. Um, and see, Abraham had a promise given to him that all would be blessed through generations Um, And yet, actually, Isaac wasn't really the fulfillment of that promise. That promise was spoken about that there is one coming who all generations will be blessed because of. And Isaac was the grandfather, 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 grandfather of the Messiah, of Jesus. And it was the start of, of one coming. And Anthony spoke about how the whole story of um, Abraham and what, he, and what he did and the conversation that he walked through with God was all um, the first time that God had walked with man again since the garden, that it was the first time that God had actually walked alongside humankind since the garden. And he let us in again. He let us talk with him again. He let us be a part of the story again. And as part of that, he then says, like, yeah, for the sake of ten righteous people, I will save that city. And yet Anthony spoke last week about how there is only one truly righteous person. That always ever has been one truly righteous person, and that was Jesus. And so none of us in our own strength are righteous. And yet the hope, and our hope today, is that the righteousness that we need is all in Jesus. And then we see um, 
through loads of different points in the Old Testament, but in a few weeks we've got um, Trish and Mark Morgan coming who um, are in Greece and they lead churches, kind of underground churches in Greece, and they're going to come and chat to us in a couple of weeks um, about Daniel, uh, in Daniel, where there's an extra man in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And it's like they step into that fire saying, we know that God is for us, we know that he'll never last down, but even if he does, we'll still praise him. And they walk into that fire and then Jesus comes and stands with them in that fire to show us as a, as a foretaste of what is to come, that we are never without him, that we'll never step into a fire without him. So we're going to look at that more closely in a few weeks. And then there's so many things through the Old Testament, but there's also so many prophecies. There's so many people who were prophets. That just means that they, they could see things. That, um, the word prophet in Hebrew literally just means to see. And it's that they see things that God is showing them to see. They see more than the natural eye. And they see a future coming. And so there's so many things that are foretold that are saying, you know, there's one coming who this, there's one coming who that. And there's 55 Old Testament prophecies that are all answered in Jesus. That all find their fulfilment in him. Which is incredible, isn't it? And so today we're going to look at one of those prophets, and his name is Micah. And he lived about 700 years before Jesus was born, in about 25 miles south of Jerusalem. Um, and so as I say, the Hebrew word means to see. And so like the other prophets, Micah saw things that everyone else wanted to ignore. And I do think that to, to hear from God, to be somebody who hears from God, we all want to do it, we all want to be a prophet, we want to be able to hear from God, and yet actually to be able to hear from him sometimes is fun, and you get the nice stuff, and you get to bless people, but actually I know a lot of people who hear from God, and they also hear the hard stuff, and they are, they're called to challenge somebody else because of what God is calling, calling in them, and so it's to see what God sees, and Micah's name is short for Micaiah, and his name literally means who is like God. And in some of the commentaries that I read um, in preparing for this talk, it actually said that that might have not even been his real name, like his name that his mum gave him, but it might be more of a nickname that was given to him because that's what he would come and declare all the time, that whenever people heard him speak, he would be saying, who is like God? Who is like God? That's what his life was about. That's what his name was. It was who is like God, that everywhere that he would step into, that would be what people would take from him is who is like God? And I find that really interesting, and it made me think this week, which is just a little side note really, if someone were to nickname you or to call you something that you declare when you step in a room or that people are left with when you leave, if you were to have a name, what would that name be? What do you think it would be that people are left with when, when you have spoken, when you have brought yourself and what God is doing in your life and what God says through you? Is it grace? Is it justice? Is it love? Is it kindness? Is it something more like longer than that? And maybe that's just a fun thing to ask God this week. Like, what is it that you want my life to be to be called? That you would name me? That you want it to be? That is my declaration as I step into this world. So, Micah is. Um, seven chapters long and so I'm not going to be able to read to you the whole of it today um, and so I'm just going to let you know kind of the three sections that it kind of talks about a lot of it is him well it is him prophesying it's him speaking out what he believes that God is saying and so the first is that he exposes sin 
And so he does a lot of speaking into, talking about how the rulers were ruling really wrongly. That they had um, stepped away from the things that God had called them to do. They stepped away from the way that he says things are fair. That the religious leaders and even other prophets were corrupt. That they could kind of be paid to say what the people wanted to hear rather than actually declaring what God would say. And judges could be paid off the same. So everyone was just basically living quite corruptly. So when you read it, a lot of it is talking about that and how he exposes sin. Secondly, he talks about the consequences of sin, which, if we're honest, no one wants to hear about. Like, the consequences of sin, the fact that actually when we sin, there are consequences. There are natural consequences that happen. But also, there are consequences with God when, when sin happens. And so nobody really wants to hear about the consequences of sin, and yet that is on Micah's life, that he comes and he speaks of the consequences that are going to come to this place because of their sin, because of their corruption. But thirdly, he is constantly speaking through all of this into hope. He speaks about sin, he speaks about the consequences of sin, but it's all in line and underpinned by hope and restoration and a greater purpose and a future that is coming. And yet the people of the time didn't want to hear it. And they were in a time where the rich were getting richer and they were ignoring the poor. They were turning against the things that God has said. And so some of the rules were things like, um, if you have a lot, share it. That's very simply one of God's rules for his people. If you have a lot, share it. And they were not sharing it. Another very simple rule of God, treat people equally. Whether they're from your nation or from another, treat them equally. And they were not doing that. Treat your workers well. If you have a Sabbath, let them have a Sabbath. People were not doing that. They were exploiting their, their servants. They were exploiting their workers, but taking the Sabbath and the break for themselves. There were so many things, as you read through Micah, that you see him pushing on, that's actually just because God wants the best for his people. It's not because he's coming and going, oh, you're doing this wrong and that wrong and this wrong. It's because he's like, you will live the best way if you do these things that I've called, and yet you are just turning your back and walking slowly further and further away from me. And yet these people, they did as they pleased. And they were comfortable. They were changing the word of God to make it fit better with their ways. And those who followed God started to look no different from those who didn't. And all they wanted from a prophet, all they wanted from someone that would come to them and tell them what God is saying is that God was pleased with them and that he would bless them. It's very clear as you read Micah that that's what the people wanted. They didn't want to hear all this other stuff that he had to say. They just wanted to know, God's pleased with you and God will bless you. And as I've been reading this and as I've been looking through it and as I've been preparing for this, I think actually, sadly, so much of it can feel a bit familiar. It can feel like our day, can't it? That people don't want to hear anything other than, God will bless you, there's grace, God will look after you. And he will, and he is a good God, and he is full of grace, but actually he still talks about that he has things in place for our good and he doesn't want us to turn from them. It's still a challenge to us that do the people of God look different to the people who don't know God? Does your life look different to friends that you know who don't know him? And it's a challenge to me as much as it is as I'm speaking it to you. But do we really want to know the truth of God? And I know that even for me as someone that 
that has this honour to hear from God, to um, take time to read his word, to prepare something to share with you, that I can feel it. I can feel that actually it would be so much easier for me to not, to just kind of skip this bit and just talk about grace. Because it's uncomfortable. But actually, this is the challenge that we need. This is still the truth that God would say, is do we look different to those around us? Does the fact that you love Jesus and you come to church and you follow him and you read your Bible, does that change then the way that you behave? And for so many of us, absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. But it's always the challenge to ask him again, in what area can I be more stepping in line with what you're asking of me? In what ways am I dampening this down? In what ways am I conforming to the ways of this world and not sticking with how you would want me to live? Micah said, if a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer. So maybe that's what they wanted. Someone that would step in the room and go, I just prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer. That maybe we'd all be like, hallelujah. So maybe if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for this people. Micah says, the people want a prophet of comfort. They don't want someone to tell them it like it is. They want someone to tell them how they like it. And yet the prophet sees as God sees. And God sees the things that we have started to close our eyes to. Or the things that we have just become used to. The things that have just become a bit numb and that we just go around doing. And I know for me... um, I moved to Manchester uh, 11 years ago, and um, I actually came, my family came up to uh, lead Ivy and do that sort of thing, but I had been, um, I was on that gap year and I'd been in Brazil, and so I'd been working with a charity called Happy Child in Brazil, and I'd worked with um, children that were like street children, and then they'd come into a home, and it was a sibling group home. And so I just lived in that home and worked with those children and got to know them. And as part of that, um, it was kind of like social services. So we would also then go to the slums and we would work um, with the families and we would see the extreme poverty. And then I worked in Belo Horizonte and then also in Recife. And when I was in Recife, I worked with um, children um, who had been involved in uh, child prostitution. And often children are sold as slaves because for the parents so that they can um, at least then feed the rest of the children. So they would sell their children so that they can eat. And so I worked here and, um, and I loved it, but at the same time it broke me. Um, and I saw things that at 18 I'd absolutely never seen before. And then um, I came home, came to Manchester, and first of all I was just freezing, because um, it had been so nice and hot there. And so my mum said, oh, well, we'll go to this shopping centre called Trafford Centre, and you'll love it, it's amazing, and um, we'll get you some jumpers. So I was like, okay, great. So we went to the Trafford Centre, and we parked in the Orient car park, if you know it, and we walked into, so the back of the Orient, where, you know, when you step in and then there's the stairs that go up and out. And we walked into there, and I just walked in, and then I looked around and saw that there's food station, you know, food places all around the bottom, and all around that side, and then you look up and there's food all around the top, and there's everybody just sat eating food and leaving food and throwing food away. And I just walked in and burst into tears. And I was like, ah, and it like, 
angered me and hurt me and I just couldn't deal with the injustice that I have just seen a woman who has sold her child into slavery because she can't afford to eat and then I'm stepping into this place where I can choose any food I want and there's so much excess and there's so much waste and it absolutely broke me and it broke me for a while and now I go to the Orient and I don't feel any, any of that I don't have that same urgency if anything I just don't like downstairs because it's a bit messy and so I'd rather go upstairs to Pizza Express or Wagon Mamas being honest, that's how it is now because it's 10 years on and actually how much do we do that, that things that where I don't think that I stepped into that place I do think I stepped into that place out of a heart of compassion but I also think I was seeing as God saw, I was seeing things that God never shuts his eyes to God never forgot about those children, he has never forgotten he never will and he is working to defend them and to uphold them and to help them And yet we are called to see the things that the world closes its eyes to. Micah said, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgressions and Israel his sin. And I believe that as we start to pray more and more into these issues, it's not about us just judging the world around us. It's about this, it's about us having the power and might of God, about us seeing as he sees, about us being um, filled with his spirit, and it's through that, it's through seeing as he sees, that we choose to step and make a change in the world. And amongst all this um, pain and the, the things that he sees that are going wrong in his world, he also, as I say, holds it with hope and the promise of restoration. He says, but you, Bethlehem, So he speaks to Bethlehem. Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son. Who do we know? She who is in labor who bore a son in Bethlehem. Mary. Well done. Two of you that answered me. <laughs> you know it. And the rest of his brothers returned to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Who is the good shepherd? Jesus. Jesus. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And he will live securely, for then his greatness will reach the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Who is the Prince of Peace? Aren't you glad we're this side of it? Like they prophesied things that they heard God say, but they had no idea of what they were really saying about. And I bet they just wish they knew all and wish they could come back in a few years and see it. I'm so glad that we see this. And I think we can, again, become complacent that, oh yeah, we know that's Jesus, but actually this is incredible. That 700 years before it was spoken and something was declared that was very confusing at the time, but that now we look back and there's so many prophecies where it's like it's speaking directly about Jesus and what's to come. And so there's hope coming. And what hope did they have? What was the hope of these people who would close their eyes to what was going on around them? It was to turn from their ways and do God's way. And I love this in Micah, Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And in the verse before, Micah says that worshipping and relating to God isn't about rituals of worship or even sacrifice, but we can pretend that we're all confused about and, and act like it's just such a mystery. What does God want from us? And try and figure out God wants, what God wants for us and what God wants us to do. But the fact is, it says here, he's shown us. He's shown us what he wants us to do. And he's very clear about it. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Do justice. And justice really is at the heart of our faith. You can't actually, I don't believe, love God and not love justice. And it's clear because it says that all through the Bible in lots of different ways. So we're going to look at some of those. That no amount of fasting or praying or doing the right thing can actually stop us from needing to also love justice. And, and faith is a doing word. It's that we put our faith into action, that we are doing justice. It doesn't say like justice. I think it's good when someone else does something. Do justice. It's a command. So we hear it through Micah, but we also see it in Isaiah. And Beatrice is going to speak next more, more about Isaiah, but I want to touch on a bit here. It says, is not this the kind of fasting that I have chosen? This is God speaking through Isaiah. To loose the chains of injustice... So this is what God's saying, this is what I'm about. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them. And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. When your light will, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry. That's challenging. As I've been writing this talk, I've been so challenged. Am I spending myself on behalf of the poor? On behalf of the hungry? Am I satisfying the needs of the oppressed? Because I want the next bit. Then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. We want these bits, don't we? We want the good stuff. We want it to be that when we talk to him, he'll hear us. And he's saying, this is a partnership. This is us walking together. There's stuff for you to do as we go forward. The Lord will guide your ways. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. I pray that for some of you today who feel like you, you need your frame strengthened, that you will be strengthened in your frame today. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of the streets of dwelling. That's who you are called to be. That's your identity. You are different from those who are around you. You are different from those you work with. You are different from your friends because you have a greater calling in your life. You are anointed. You are positioned, you are called for such a time as this to be people who rebuild 
to be people who restore, to be people who repair other people and broken walls and the things around us that we see are broken. You, that's what you are called for. You are not called for ordinary. You are called for more. In Zechariah 7, it says, The word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But again, they refuse to pay attention, stubbornly turning their backs and covering their ears. I pray that we don't do that today. That we don't hear this and think, yeah, no, I'm going to turn my back and cover my ears. But actually, this is something we step into to say, yeah, I, do, I want to be one of those people. That I won't oppress the widow or the fatherless or the foreigner or the poor, but that I will show mercy and compassion. Proverbs 31 says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. You are called to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. It's not one or two who are called to do that and go and work in charity and help somebody. This is for all of us. You are called to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. Whether that's someone in a far off country who actually needs you to speak for them because they're not being treated fairly and therefore that changes the way that you shop, changes where you buy your clothes from. That's not just a good activist thing to do, that's because you're called to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. Whether it's in your workplace, when everyone else is having a chat about someone, you're called to speak up on their behalf. You're called to speak up for justice. You're called to speak a better word. You're called for more. And God not only loves the poor and is with the poor, but he identifies as the poor. Proverbs 19.7 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. That when you love the poor, you're loving God. When you feed them, you're, you're feeding him. And in a world where men dominated, where they were the kings, they were the rulers, they were the leaders, they were the judges, they were the authority in every way, God identifies as, I am with the widow. I am with the fatherless. That's who he is. He constantly identifies with those who would be seen at the bottom. And yet so often we want to be up at the top. And he, the God who absolutely is at the top, constantly brings himself and humbles himself down to those who are at the lowest. And we, it's not really something that we can just choose to opt in or opt out of. It's something that all of us are called to, that Matthew 25 says, that Jesus said, I, there will be a time coming where he will say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger and invite you in? or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters you did for me. Whatever you do for the least of these you do for him. 
And I think often we can hear about justice, but the way that we really understand justice is to mainly think about injustice. And that a lot of us know the feeling of injustice, whether it's from, um, I think it starts so early in life, that when you're a kid, I remember when I was younger, and any time when my mum used to, Emma was quite, Emma's my sister, she's a bit crafty, and um, <laughs> she, yeah, forgiveness has happened, she would manage to like, do something and set it up in such a way that it would look like I'd done it. And because I was the more like, one, um, that meant that often it was me. But when it wasn't me, and even though often it was me, when it wasn't me, and I got the blame and I had to go to my room, but it wasn't actually me, I can still remember that feeling of, no, it, that wasn't me. And then because I'd shout and be like, it wasn't me, he'd be like, well, now you're shouting, so you're definitely going to win. It's like, no, this sense of injustice. And I bet so many of us have had that and can remember that feeling of like, that's not fair, that's not what it is. And it starts so young. My five-year-old still has it that he's like, like already, he's so like that. He hates it if you punish him for something that isn't him. And actually, that's often how you know it actually wasn't him because of the bleh that you get. And the same then as we grow, that when we get older and we hear people gossiping about someone and you think that whole situation that you're talking about there, that's not fair because that's not who they are and you're completely making that about them and all believing something about someone that is not true. And that is so unjust, isn't it? And that feeling of it's not fair that everyone is thinking that about that person and yet they're not speaking into it, they're keeping their integrity and that is so not fair. There's so many situations where we hate it if we see injustice. When allegations are made about people and it's not, there's no truth in it. And it hurts you because it's like, that is so not fair. And I remember um, years ago watching the Great British, Great British Bake Off. Hands up if you love that show. Welcome. Um, I love that show. And you might remember this, Loz didn't at all, but there was um, a time years ago where um, there was a guy who I think was a fireman and it was the week where they had to make a baked Alaska and he made it and he made it really well. I don't really know much about baking baked Alaska. But he made it really well and I just know that it has to go in the freezer and then at the very end, I think you put it in the oven and then it's done, well done. So he put all his effort into making it, did it really well, put it in the freezer. But then when he went to get it out in the final two minutes, it wasn't in the freezer, it was out on the side, just this liquid mush. And so he was totally upset and distraught and just put it in the bin, put his tray at the end of the table because it was two minutes to go and the judges came round and were like, what's happened? And he said, it's um, just, I don't have anything to show you. And so um, they said, okay, we haven't got anything to judge, so we don't get points. And then he was actually let off the show that week. He didn't get through to the next stage because he couldn't be judged on it. He had nothing to show for it. Then the camera showed you what had happened in the in-between. And there was an older woman who had um, taken his out, put it on the side, put hers in. And the nation was in uproar. <laughs> Does anyone else remember this? Like, it was on every news like channel, it was in the paper, and there was real issues going on in the actual world at that time. But on the front of everything, every chat show, everything you'd look at, it was like, the Baked Alaska, how 
did she take it out? And it's like, because it, I think it just hit in everyone, this sense of injustice, that actually he's now not on the show, and it wasn't even his fault. He had made it, he had done well. And so we know the feeling of injustice, don't we? You have to bring that in, it still lives in me. Um, we know the feeling of injustice. And yet, as we understand justice, and as I've explained how much God speaks to us about that he loves the poor and he is calling us to love justice too. It isn't enough to do it just because Hannah says so or the Bible says so and therefore I should do it. That actually doing anything out of duty isn't going to last very long. That even as I've been speaking, maybe you felt a bit of guilt, a bit of, oh yeah, I could do more, a bit of something. Maybe you haven't, great. But as I've been writing it, I've been thinking, oh, having these feelings but actually it can't be just we don't do anything well if we do it out of a sense of duty so really what we need to find is a way to and Tim Keller talks about it's not about duty it's about beauty but actually we do things out of beauty and that's what we see as we read through Zechariah these verses we're looking at as we read through Isaiah as we read through um, Micah and also in, in the New Testament as we look at like Paul and how he says you can do all these many things in 1 Corinthians 13, but if you haven't got love, it's just a clanging symbol. But actually, you could go out now and do a million brilliant things for charity, but if you're doing it out of duty, that I should do this, or out of self-interest, that I won't be shamed and I'll feel a bit better next time she talks about it if I just do these things, then actually nothing is going to change because we have to find a way of doing it out of beauty. And so how do we do that? And I believe there's a reason that it says do justice, love mercy. is because they come hand in hand. That it's only a place, out of a place of loving mercy that we can truly do justice. And Micah points again to hidden hope in, seven, eight, in Micah 7.18. Who is a God like you? That's his name, as I said earlier. Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. You do not stay angry forever, but delight in showing mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. He's not just speaking about a baby that is coming. He's speaking about one that is coming who will take on all of our sin, will tread it underfoot and will hurl it into the depths of the sea. Jesus came and identified with the oppressed, with those who have injustice. And I believe that now you have justice in your head as you read the word of God, as I've just been doing my personal readings this week, I've been, I'm reading Luke at the minute, and I just see over and over again as Jesus walked this earth, he couldn't stand in a room with injustice. He couldn't stand in a room where someone was being mistreated and not speak up for them. He couldn't stand in a room where someone was in pain. And even on the Sabbath day when he shouldn't heal the woman who's completely bent over and crippled. And it's going to make his life so much more difficult. And he could just have done a little thing where when she got home she stood upright. But he wanted to keep showing that actually I stand for justice. And he heals her. And he delivers her of her sin. And he helps her to be that she stands upright and she leaves. And he speaks to them and he says, you hypocrites. You'd untie your donkey and let it drink, wouldn't you? But she's bound. And so of course I'm going to untie her from the, back, the things that are binding her. 
He constantly meets with people who are in fear, who are hated by others, who are excluded. Think about the lepers, think about the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the woman at the well, the man hanging next to him on a cross. People that others would shame, people that others would not speak up for, people who others wouldn't even want near them. He embraced them. He touched them. He loved them. And so we see that the greatest injustice of all time came when he who had no sin became sin. When he who had never succumbed to temptation of any kind was whipped to the bone. When he who deserved praise and was, should have been just hailed constantly as the almighty God was instead spat on and hurled abuse at. When he who had only ever loved and loved and loved was betrayed by those closest to him. When he who had already given up so much of giving up all of heaven came down as a vulnerable, innocent baby. And then as a man was nailed to a tree, and I had this revelation this week of as he was nailed to the tree, the hands that nailed him there, he created in a womb. The very hands that hung him and pierced him to a tree, he created. He who was righteous was crucified, that we may stand righteous. There has never been a greater injustice than on that day, but there has also never been such mercy shown. And it was all for love. And for some of us, that might be the first time that we've heard that. And for some of us, that might be the millionth time. But I pray that you will fully receive that again. That you will allow it to be, that you don't overlook that either or close your ears to it, but that you allow God to speak to you again about the mercy that has been shown to you. As he was on that cross and yet said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That forgiveness is what he brought out. And therefore, in remembering and loving mercy, it humbles us. It means that actually, rather than being the big ones that get to come and save the day, it puts us on a level with everybody else. It makes us the lowest of the low when we remember that actually, I deserve nothing. And yet I have received everything. It's out of that place of loving mercy that we walk humbly alongside our God, who was the humble servant, and we say, let me be your hands. Let me be your feet. Tell me where you want me to speak. That's why we then walk humbly with our God. That we will be people that say, I want to do justice because I love your mercy. And I remember that you were a king who became a baby, a servant, a homeless teacher, a beaten man hung on a tree who rose again in the fullness of victory so that he could walk with us. So that we could walk humbly with our God. So that whatever we go through, we know that he has felt it. There's no pain that we go through that he hasn't felt. That whatever we see, we know that he identifies with. And whatever darkness we see around us, we can speak hope into that. 
And so I just want to give us an opportunity to pray. But I just want to give you a second to just close your eyes. And just have a moment of um, reflection on the things that have been said. Just ask God now if there's something that he wants to really highlight to you. If there's a one thing that he wants to speak into your heart. That he wants to remind you of. Father God, we welcome you now. Lord, let us not become numb or over-familiar or forget the greatness and the richness of what you've done for us. Let us love mercy. We who have been forgiven much, love much. And now I'm going to invite you that... um, If you want to be able to say, break my heart for what breaks yours, to just stand now. If you want to say afresh today, I will allow you to break my heart for what breaks yours. I will choose to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Father God, I thank you that you are the God of justice that we have seen over and over again in your word and there's so much more that I couldn't even begin to read it all all the times that you say I am with the poor I am with the widow I am with the fatherless I am with those in prison I am with those who are on the streets I am with those who don't have food I am them and when you do for the least of these you do it for me and so Lord we just want to stand before you right now and this is a holy moment this matters where we stand before you, Jesus, and we say, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I say, I will step out again into all that you have for me. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.